This is The Guardian. Today, it's the last refuge for more than a million civilians in Gaza. And now, the Israeli army says it's coming. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Yusuf, how are you? How are you doing? All good, alhamdulillah. Alive. I'm glad to hear that. Yusuf Hamash is a journalist living in Gaza with his family. I managed to reach him this week on a really bad line. Tell me, I mean, where are you right now? So currently I am displaced in Rafah, in the southern part of Gaza Strip. Yusuf is one of more than a million people pressed into a tiny city at the southern edge of the Gaza Strip called Rafah the last area considered even remotely safe from Israel's military campaign. And what does it look like right now to walk through Rafah at the moment? What, what do you see and hear around you? It used to have 250,000 citizens. In a matter of a few days, the population became more than one million and a half. Wow. All of that in tents and makeshift shelters. What does that look like to be in a place where the population has increased by four or five times in just a matter of weeks? Every day it became more challenging and uh, access to your basic needs became more difficult because Rafah infrastructure itself is, is not prepared. Rafah doesn't have a main hospital. The biggest hospital we had in Rafah, it contains 60 beds for 60 patients. And there's over a million people there. Exactly, and it's a mass spread of disease among displaced families because lack of clean water, it's rare to get a shower, especially if you are in a tent. If you are lucky, you will take a shower once a week. Hmm. Everyday families are trying to manage and to provide their daily needs for their children and their families, but unfortunately this mission is getting more impossible every day with the amount of people who are coming on a daily basis. As people continue to pour in from destroyed cities across the Gaza Strip, a new threat has emerged. Israel says to defeat Hamas, it needs to invade Rafah. For Yusuf and so many others, it's deja vu. He's already fled three other places with his wife and kids. And what kinds of calculations are you making if the Israeli offensive begins in Rafah? Where do you plan to go? Where can you go? Uh, that's a good question. There is no place that we can go. We are going through an imaginable situation. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, will Israel invade Rafah? Ruth Michelson, you're a foreign correspondent and you've covered this now four-month-long war for The Guardian. How did we get to this point? 
So after uh, the 7th of October, when we saw that Hamas militants stormed the area around the border with the Gaza Strip and killed an estimated 1,200 Israelis, most of them civilians. They also took hostages um, and took them back into Gaza. Israeli forces began a intense bombing campaign of Gaza and especially Gaza City. Now to Israel's war with Hamas. There are breaking developments to get to tonight. Israeli Defense Forces are calling on all residents of northern Gaza to evacuate their homes within 24 hours. And then in mid-October, Israeli forces ordered over a million people who were in Gaza City to move south south of the Gaza River. People living in northern Gaza have received phone alerts advising them to evacuate their homes within 24 hours. That ominous warning from Israel's military saying residents should leave for their own safety. Since the ground invasion of the Gaza Strip, Israeli forces have pushed civilians further and further south in Gaza. Many, many people went to Khan Yunus, which is the largest city in at the southern end of the Strip. And then we saw that Israeli ground forces entered Khan Yunus in December. The Israeli army renewed calls for evacuations. Some of those taking flight in Khan Yunis headed to Mawasi on the southern Gazan coast, which Israel has designated a humanitarian zone. As a result of that, Tens of thousands of people fled Khan Yunis for Rafah, the southernmost city in the Gaza Strip. It's right next to the border with Egypt. Ruth, you've described this dynamic where civilians are pushed from one place to the next, told every time that that next place is safe until it isn't, until Israel starts bombing it or Israeli troops start invading it. And slowly, slowly, people have been pushed into this very last civilian enclave, Rafa. And now it looks like the Israelis are headed for that too. The Israeli army and the Israeli Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, have certainly made statements that suggest that's the case. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has told his military to prepare for an evacuation of the city of Rafa inside Gaza ahead of an expected Israeli invasion there. Last Friday, Netanyahu's office released about a three-line statement that just said it is impossible to achieve the goal of the war without eliminating Hamas and by leaving what they described as four Hamas battalions in Rafah. His office then said, you know, it's clear that intense activity in Rafah requires that civilians evacuate the areas of combat. And they added that Netanyahu had ordered the IDF, the Israeli military, as well as the Israeli security establishment to submit plans to the cabinet to evacuate the civilian population in Rafah and to essentially draw up a battle plan for invading the city. That's dominated the conversation for the last few days, the chances of a ceasefire. But now Israel is saying it wants to launch an incursion into Rafah. But and what have we seen there over the past few days? So just a couple of days after that announcement, we saw that Israel drastically scaled up airstrikes on Rafah. We begin in southern Gaza, where the Israeli military has carried out overnight attacks on the city of Rafah. 
Sunday night and in well into Monday morning, people described that airstrikes were still happening um, at 7am on Monday after going on all night. Multiple strikes targeted the vicinity of the Kuwait hospital and crowds of injured Palestinians, including children, have streamed into the overburdened facility. The Israeli military said that this was a diversion, that they were rescuing two hostages who were in a civilian house in Rafah. I'm very happy to announce that this night two released hostages landed here at Sheba Medical Center, Israel's largest hospital. Were- Those airstrikes also killed at least 67 people in Rafah. Other estimates put that number higher. They said it was over 100 people. And the loss of human life when you have airstrikes of that intensity or any airstrikes is about how many people are just crammed into Rafah at the moment. Estimates that we have from the UN are that there's over half of Gaza's total population, that's 2.3 million people, are now crammed into this area, which is 62 square miles. Incredible. It's quite hard to comprehend, right? And it's over... 1.3 million people, and what we know is that they are sleeping mostly in makeshift tents. There are people sleeping on the streets, according to the UN, because they have arrived fleeing from other places and they haven't been able to find tents because there's just so many people looking for shelter. This is in a city that used to have just 300,000 people in a place that is now increasingly coming under attack. Ruth, you said that Benjamin Netanyahu had issued an evacuation order for Rafa. Evacuate to where? How do you evacuate that many people and where do they go? I mean, that is an extremely good question in this environment, especially when it's over 1.3 million people that have just been pushed further and further south. Our team in Gaza tells us that the Israeli military has given people several options move to an already overcrowded part of Rafah, go to Khan Yunus, which is still being bombed, or return to the north, which has been all but obliterated. There are people who have now fled north up the coastal road, which runs along the beach in the Gaza Strip, and they are fleeing to areas like Deir al-Bala and Nusirat, which are in the so-called middle area. And these are people who were already displaced four or five times, maybe even more, before they got to Rafa, They are now fleeing again, and they are also fleeing to an area that is also under bombardment. There have been intense airstrikes um, in recent weeks on, on that part of Gaza as well. Um, and there are others who say that they are unable or unwilling to flee, um, that they fear that there won't be anywhere for them to go in Deir al-Bala, and they are stuck at the southernmost point of the Gaza Strip. It is right next to the Egyptian border. And we've seen that that border is also increasingly being fortified with barbed wire, with a security presence on the Egyptian side. And Egypt has quite openly expressed fears that Israeli forces pushing into Rafah could provoke Palestinians to try and rush across that border into the Sinai Peninsula, which is on the other side. Mm. 
have the Israelis actually put forward a plan, something that looks like a credible evacuation plan that might give people some safety? We haven't seen any public evidence of that yet. We don't know what plans have been submitted to the cabinet as Netanyahu demanded. When I went to the IDF for comment earlier this week to ask about whether they would suggest evacuation routes for Rafa, they did not respond. They can't just disappear. Where are they supposed to go? No, well, the, the areas that we've cleared north of Rafa are uh, plenty of areas there, but uh, we are working out a detailed plan to do so. Based on what we have seen so far in other parts of, of Gaza, it's also possible that the plan that will be submitted is not necessarily going to be sufficient to actually ensure people's safety. There is evidence that when the Israeli forces proposed what they said were designated safe routes out of Gaza City south, they also attacked those safe routes. And so the plan that has to be put forward has to be one that people on the ground feel comfortable using. And that's also questionable. I am currently displaced with my family in the city of Rafah in the southern part of the Gaza Strip. One of the people trapped in Rafah, trying to figure out what they might do if Israel invades, is Asil Musa, a freelance journalist. She was able to send us a few messages yesterday. My family and I have been enduring the most challenging days of our lives. On October 13, the Israeli authorities ordered us to evacuate the northern Gaza Strip and relocate to the south in Al-Maghazi refugee camp, where Israel claimed it to be a safe area, we experienced relentless bombardment. Israel bombed the only bakery uh, and schools that were shelters for the displaced civilians. Israel killed 60 members of my family. Most of them were children and women, and they were in areas that were classified as safe by the occupation. After almost 80 days of displacement in Al-Maghazi, my family and I were forced to relocate once again. Israel claimed that Rafah is a safe area. Actually, the situation is getting harder every passing day. On Monday night, the Israeli occupation unleashed a barrage of missiles and artillery shells on the city. The prospect of a ground invasion into Rafah would be catastrophic. I actually feel utterly helpless. There is nowhere safe left to go. Ruth, we've just heard Asil's story, one of so many people in that situation in Rafah. Why are the Israelis saying they need to do this, to go into this very last place in Gaza that people feel any kind of safety? So we've certainly seen plenty of statements from Israeli officials saying that this is a necessity to go after Hamas. Those who say that under no circumstances should we enter Rafah are basically saying, lose the war, keep Hamas there. And Hamas has promised to do the October 7th massacre over and over and over again. The idea is that they are squeezing, in 
the Israeli forces conception of this, that they are squeezing Hamas into these tighter and tighter spaces and that they would then be able to eliminate the leadership or other Hamas fighters. They did say that they had a number of uh, objectives and one of those was identifying Yahya Sinwa, finding him, uh, tracking him down and taking him uh, into custody or neutralizing him, the leader of Hamas in Gaza. And so far that has not happened. So presumably the IDF thinks that they might find him uh, in the Rafah area. Uh, that remains uh, to be seen. So look, we'll see. We exactly don't necessarily have a lot of evidence that that strategy has been effective so far or that it will be any more effective in Rafah than it was elsewhere. These are also things that the Israelis said about Khan Yunus and, and areas of Gaza City before they sent ground troops into those places too. So you're saying that these big goals that Netanyahu set out at the start of the war to rescue the hostages and to defeat Hamas, we don't actually know if that's working or not. I think it's fair to say that there are major questions about the success of that strategy. So starting with the estimations of the number of Hamas fighters that have been killed according to some reports that came out um, in the Wall Street Journal and some other publications citing US intelligence at the end of January, they said that Israel had killed around 20 to 30% of Hamas's fighters. And I think the other thing to consider is that what Netanyahu said that Israel is setting out to do is to completely eradicate the leadership of Hamas. And we don't necessarily have any evidence that that has been achieved in any sense. And so I think there are major questions about whether Israel has achieved what it said, or particularly what Netanyahu said it was going to achieve with this incredibly aggressive campaign of strikes and the presence of ground forces in Gaza. We know that much of Gaza's infrastructure is entirely destroyed. We know that 28,000 people are now dead. And there is nowhere for people to return to in the north. There are meant to be thousands more bodies under the rubble. And we also know that Hamas are regrouping in parts of the north. So there are major questions about whether a push into Rafah is going to be in any way decisive or whether it would just simply be more of what we've seen so far. So Ruth, how has this plan to push into Rafah, potentially at huge civilian cost, played out among Israel's biggest allies? So we saw that the US President Joe Biden, who has certainly expressed support for Israel's operation in Gaza following the October 7th attacks, that the threat that Israel could attack Rafah seems to be raising some alarm. Joe Biden told Netanyahu in a phone call uh, on Sunday that the Israelis should not launch any military operation in Rafah, in his words, without a credible and executable plan for ensuring the safety and support for more than one million people sheltering there. And the airstrikes that took place on uh, Sunday night and well into Monday morning occurred after that call. Uh, so it's not necessarily clear that 
Netanyahu or the Israeli defense establishment has necessarily taken that warning immediately on board. Mr. Prime Minister, let me ask you right away, what, what's your response to President Biden saying that your response in Gaza has been over the top? Well, I appreciate President Biden's support for Israel since the beginning of the war. Uh, I don't know exactly what he meant by that. But We've seen that other Western allies uh, of Israel have started to express real concerns about what an attack on Rafah would mean. Well, we are very concerned about what is happening in Rafah. David Cameron said on Tuesday, it's just simply not possible for many people to leave Rafah. So really underscoring this idea that even with a plan put in place for people to be able to leave the city, in David Cameron's words, they can't go north because they'd be going back home to homes that have been destroyed. Let's be clear, the people there, many of them have moved four, five, six times before getting there. And uh, it really, we think, is impossible to, to see how you can, can fight a war amongst these people. There's nowhere for them to go. Um, we also saw a warning by Martin Griffiths, who's the UN Undersecretary for Humanitarian Affairs. Really grim statement from him saying the scenario we have long dreaded is unraveling at alarming speed. Um, he said that people in Rafa are staring death in the face. Uh, he pointed at the fact that there is already a massive shortage of food. There's fears that an attack on Rafa would cut access for over a million people um, just in Rafa alone and more beyond that to what tiny amount of aid is already getting in through the Rafa crossing. And so Martin Griffiths said that he is, in his words, sounding the alarm and that a military operation in Rafa could lead to a slaughter in Gaza. Throughout the past four months, we've heard the UN express those kinds of fears. But what I'm wondering is, the things expressed by Joe Biden, by David Cameron, are they any different to what they've said over the past few months? Are they trying to draw a line here where if Israel does this, they might actually do something meaningful, like in the US case, no longer sending the weapons that are enabling this campaign? I think there's a real effort to draw a line. I mean, we certainly saw in the statements from David Cameron that where things are at the moment has to be the end and that the Israelis need to stop and think before going ahead any operations and wrap up. I'm not really sure what wrap up means, but it doesn't sound like he's encouraging them to push ahead. U.S. Senate has passed a $95 billion AIDS package for Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan. It's now been sent to... At the same time, there's not necessarily, as you say, the threat that if Israeli forces did push into Rafah and did cause this level of harm, that there would be a pause to weapon supplies. $14 billion in military aid for Israel is included in that bill. Coming up, people in Rafah can't go north. Why they can't flee south to Egypt either. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. 
And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. And Ruth, you said that one of the things happening in Rafa is that its border with Egypt is being fortified. Egyptian troops are gathering, barbed wire is being strung over the fence. You're a former Cairo correspondent. Explain to me why the Egyptians couldn't just let the Palestinians there into the country temporarily for their safety. Well, this has certainly been the question for a long time. and There is immense pressure on Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, the Egyptian president, internally to do more to protect people in, in Gaza, and particularly to open the Rafah crossing, which Egypt nominally controls between the north and Sinai and Gaza. Sisi has certainly sounded the alarm plenty of times about the idea of what could happen if millions of Palestinians flee into the Sinai. And when he has made public statements about this, he has described the presence of two million Palestinians sheltering in the Sinai as though that would be a security threat to Cairo in some way, which has been conducting military operations against jihadist militants in the northern Sinai Peninsula for uh, about a decade. But Egypt has also said that they don't want the Sinai to become similar to situations that we've seen in Palestinian refugee camps in Lebanon or in Syria or the long-term presence of Palestinian refugees in Jordan, for example. And so the fear from Cairo is that any Palestinians displaced into the Sinai, that this will not be temporary, that they will never actually be allowed to go back and that Egypt will in the long term, become responsible for them in a way that Sisi does not want Egypt to be. An invasion of Rafah would be 
a humanitarian disaster for the Palestinian people there, but potentially also a diplomatic disaster for the Israelis. And it's part of this Israeli strategy in Gaza that you say may not even be working. It may not even be achieving the goals that Benjamin Netanyahu set out at the beginning of the war, all of which raises the question, why are they doing it? There's very little evidence that this incredibly aggressive bombing campaign and ground invasion has done what Israel said it set out to do. And we know that any attack on Rafah is going to incur not just a huge loss of civilian life, but increase the already huge loss of civilian life, quite possibly more intensely than we have seen so far. And it seems as though the Israeli authorities are stuck with this idea that the only solution is this very brutal and intense military attack, even if this hasn't brought the results they claim so far, and it seems very unlikely to in future. Ruth, thank you very much. Thank you. And that was Ruth Michelson, a foreign correspondent covering this war for The Guardian. Thanks also to Yusuf Hamash and Asil Musa. We're hoping they and their families and everybody trapped in Rafa right now can somehow stay safe. We're covering events in Gaza live and have been since Hamas's October 7 attacks on Israel. All of that coverage is at theguardian.com. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Sammy Kent and Ned Carter-Miles. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Elizabeth Casson, and we're back with you tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.